Hello? Test one, two, three. Don't touch the microphone, please. All right, sit back. Sit back. The best day of my life was meeting Kendall Sand. Uh-huh. <laughs> the best day of my life was being asked to be in this video. What? The best moment of my life was when I got cast as Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid. The best moment in my life is when I was adopted by Chuck and Betty Stockton. One of the best moments in my life was when I was baptized here by Pastor Matt. One of the best things that's ever happened to me is going to the Caribbean. Because I saw a shark! <laughs> it was like... The best thing that's ever happened to me is I got to um, see Taylor Swift in concert for my birthday. The best thing that happened to me was I went to my first Ohio State Buckeye game. Uh, well, Ohio State football game. Like that one up there. I have three best things that ever happened to me. One is my salvation, the day I accepted Christ when I was eight years old. Second, the day I married my wife, Angela Carl. Angela Carl Buck now. And thirdly would be the day that we adopted my little boy, Elijah Joel Buck. What's the best thing that's ever happened to you? So once this time, um, like, Mom was, um, so we were on the pillow and Mom's like, ah, this is so scary. And me and Veronica are like, no, it's not. And then it keeps going faster and faster and faster. And Mom's like, Give them a big round of applause if you can. I, I love that video. I think it's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, do me a favor, open up to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John, and we're going to be uh, looking at some scripture from there. Before we do, though, I would like to say hello to a couple of people because uh, there's some people that are listening by way of uh, radio or by the internet. And my, is Linda Orion in this room? Is Linda Orion here? I don't think she is. I want to say hey to Linda. She's, I think she's watching online. So everybody say hey, Linda. Hey. hey. She's one of my really good friends, so I wanted to say hey. And then I have family that, is watch, that, that I think are watching this video. At least they told me they were going to. And uh, one is in Oklahoma. It's my sister Sarah and her family. And don't worry, she's not an Oklahoma fan, so they slept okay last night. Uh, their football team lost, if you didn't know. And then um, I have family in Scotland, in the United Kingdom. So... What I'd like for all of us to do is to, I, I want to do something that will be uh, culturally relevant to them. Uh, who, who was here when I, when, when Pastor Frank was gone and I got to lead worship and we opened up the service with the uh, Country Roads Take Me Home song? Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was um, a much bigger hit than I thought it would be. In fact, I had people come up to me and they're like, hey man, we doing any uh, John Denver songs today? And I said... Now, I think we're going to sing to Jesus today, but, you know, I, <laughs> that's fine. People loved the John Denver song, and that was culturally relevant for Pastor Frank because he's a West Virginia man. It's his national anthem, right, or his state anthem. And so the only thing I can think about about my family in Scotland is, anybody seen the movie Braveheart? Anybody seen that? Yeah. I can't recommend it because it's rated R, but the movie Braveheart, at the very end of it, he has the line where he says, freedom. So do this with me. Raise your fist in the air real quick. And to show my family that we're thinking of them, on the count of three, I want everybody to just say freedom and make it, like, really good. Ready? One, two, three. Freedom! Love you guys. All right. So, that's my family in Scotland. Scotland. That's how they say it over there. But that, the video that we just watched, there was a lot of good stuff in that video that, that really made me laugh. 
Whenever, whenever we record, uh, especially elementary kids, they always say the funniest stuff, and we don't have to script it. Like, literally, we just put them on the couch, and we said, tell us the best thing that ever happened to you. And some of those were serious. We had the one uh, lady, Miss, uh, Miss uh, Moorhart. Moorhart? Something like that. It starts with an M. Miss M, we'll call her that. But she, <laughs> she, I loved her. She says, the best moment of my life was when I was adopted by my parents, which, I mean, man, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, Carrie Buck, we know Carrie from being up here, and he said, when I married my wife, which you have to say, let's be honest there, that's what you have to say first, but he said that, and then he said, and then when we adopted our son, Elijah, and you've seen Elijah running around here vandalizing stuff, and so, but he's awesome kid, and so that was a great one, and then, and then my, my, for me, it would have been a bottom three, but the girl who got to go see Taylor Swift, I, she really thought that was great. Uh, it sounds horrible to me, actually, so I'd never go see Taylor Swift, and, and then obviously the girl at the end, Caroline Arrowwood, was hilarious. Like, um, when Corey and I were filming it, I said, Corey, did you get any of that? He goes, I have no idea what she said. I said, but it's funny, so we're just going to keep it. So I think she was talking about a roller coaster, so, so that's kind of where we've landed on that. But that, the, the whole premise of that video was to get people to tell us the best moments in their life. And when John, uh, that was up here singing, asked you guys, hopefully you got a moment, about 30 seconds, to think about what the best moment in your life is. And I thought it would be pretty cool if I told you about some of the best moments in my life before we get started. So, again, I'm going to be like Carrie Buck here. i got a disclaimer, okay? Number one, I married my, my amazing, beautiful wife. That's obviously the best thing, right? In fact... Every guy on my dorm at college really wanted to date her. And so when I started dating her and got to marry her, I was like, in your face, dorm 5-1. It was great. So, so that was one of the best moments for me is that I got an awesome wife. And then I have four awesome kids. I think the last time I spoke here, I only had three. And now I have four. Uh, we finally figured out what causes it. So uh, hopefully we won't have any more kids after that. But we have four kids. And I got to deliver my second kid, Jack, which was crazy. So, so we're in the delivery room, and the nurse looks at me. She goes, all right, it's time for you to suit up. And I said, for what? And she goes, you're going to catch the baby. And I was like, wait, wait, what? And so they put the gloves on, and then sure enough, I got to stand there and, and catch my son Jack as, as he was delivered. It was one of the best moments of my life and one of the most glorious moments of my life, ironically. And so, so it, was, it was this great moment where I'm holding my kid, and I'm like, this is, this is amazing, right? And so all of us have these best moments in our life. But now that I've got the disclaimer out of the way about the family, who I love ever so much, here's one of the other best moments of my life. And it happened on January 1st, 2015. I don't know if anybody remembers. If not, I'm going to jog your memory. Let's watch this video. Here we go. They can run about 20 seconds off the clock here. Ezekiel Elliott. Yes. And he's got an opening. To the races, can they catch him? Nope. No, oh, they can't. Yes. Look, my favorite part, ready? Watch the disappointed Alabama fans. There they are. Yes. Yes. There you are, Nick Saban. <laughs> Guys, they're. Unfortunately, they're not making those faces this morning. They smoked Oklahoma last night, so they. Uh, they're doing, they're probably going to win it all, let's be honest. But for me, when I first started dating my wife, my father-in-law said, if you, wanna, if you want to permission to date my daughter, you have to be a Buckeye fan. And so I started rooting for the Buckeyes. I didn't have a team at the time. So I started rooting for Ohio State. 
And it was the, the first year I started rooting for him was when we lost to Florida in the championship. And then we lost to LSU the next year. And then I think we lost to Texas. And it was just like all these teams. It was just, I was like, man, God, is this really what you have for my life? <laughs> I was like, this is terrible. And so when we finally played Alabama, January 1st, 2015 in the Sugar Bowl, it was ever so sweet, right? Hence, you see what I did there? Sugar Bowl, sweet. Okay, anyways, but, but I loved, I, I loved that, that game because finally my team, our team, I imagine most of us are Buckeye fans, finally defeated the almighty king of the South, the Crimson Tide Alabama boys, all right? And so it felt, it felt so good, you know? In, in fact, whenever my team wins, I, I'm, a, I'm a very obnoxious fan. I'll, I'll admit that to you. I, I don't tend to uh, be silent about it. I'm very, like when, when my team wins, I, I, was, I was watching the game at my friend Todd Novosel's house, and he had put his three kids to bed before the game started. And I was like, big mistake, bro. Like, come on. So in the third quarter, they throw an interception, and we run it back for a touchdown. And, and I didn't say to myself, Matt, you need to jump up like a crazy person right now and hug everybody in the room. It just happened, right? So we get this pick six, and I jump up, and I'm freaking out. Might have shed a tear or two. And I was like, this is amazing. And my friend Todd's like, my kids are sleeping upstairs. Keep it down. I was like, bro, this is the playoffs. Are you kidding me right now? Like, you, you, I can't be held accountable for what I do during a football game, okay? And so what was funny about this is if you were my friend, you knew exactly how excited I was during this, this time because you guys know Pastor Scott Leewald and Scott Derrick, right? They're both Michigan fans. And I'm pretty sure they tried to avoid me for a whole month, which you can't do because we work together. And so I'd come in, I'd be like, hey, boys. And they're like, oh, come on, we get it. You guys are winners, that's fine. And you guys see Michigan get blown out yesterday? Let's move on. All right. (laughs) We got an applause, that's nice. All right, so let's move on. What what I want to do is I I want to, the the whole reason I'm bringing up the best moment of your life is because I, I think that when it comes to being a fan, it's very easy for me to express how much I love my team. And what I find is that when it comes to being a Christian, this isn't always the easiest thing to express for people. And so, have I told you to open up to John chapter 15 yet? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 15. We're going to jump in there in just a second. But I want to tell you the title of my message today. Go ahead and hit the slide for me. This is the title of my message is, Why Are You Silent? Why Are You Silent? And what, what I, whenever I'm preaching to the students next door, for those of you who don't know, I'm a student pastor, 6th to 12th grade, they are in my care, which isn't always the best thing, I guess, but, uh, but I'm the student pastor, and the one thing I try to tell the students often is I say, guys, whenever I'm preaching to you, I'm really, I'm really, I'm preaching to myself, and I'm allowing you to sit in and listen, because everything that I'm going to tell you today is stuff that I struggle with. I think that everybody on staff would admit that, that, uh, that when they get up and preach to you guys, these are struggles that we all have. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I have it all figured out. But I read the Bible, and, and I feel like the Bible gives us everything we need to know. And so the, the reason our, our, our message is titled, um, what is it titled? I forgot. Why are you silent? Um, the reason it's titled that is because I feel that Christians tend to be really silent when it comes to expressing how they feel about Jesus. And it's a problem that we all face. Guys, I'm a pastor at a church, and this is still something that I struggle with. When I'm outside of church, am, am I being vocal enough about my faith? And I, I think that across our country, and I'm going to speak about Christianity in the United States today. Across our country, I'm pretty confident that we, as, as a body of believer, believers, have lost our voice. We, we've lost the loudness of what we believe. And let me give you some stats to prove this, okay? This is according to Bible.org, okay? 
95% of all Christians have never led someone to Christ. 95%. That's crazy. Next one. 81% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. So 81% of us Christians are not uh, consistently telling people about what we believe. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. And evangelism is simply leaving the church and, and spreading the good news about Jesus. Only 2% are involved in regular evangelism. And this is the last one that really gets me, is 93% of all church growth is transfer growth. And here's what I mean by that. If, you, uh, if, if we were to, let's say we fast forward to the end of 2019, and we look at Genoa's attendance, and we say we had 100 new people this year in 2019. Based on this statistic right here, 93 of those people are Christians from other churches who've just come to our church. Which, which you know what that, that means is that it's not growth, right? I mean, it, our, our numbers are growing, right? Our, our church might be getting bigger numerically, but, it, but we're not leading people to Christ. And hear me, if you're from another church, awesome. I'm glad you're here. That's great. I just wish that number was a little more balanced. I, wouldn't it be great if 50% or something, or if, if most of our congregation was unbelievers that, that came to know Christ here? I was talking to Mark right before the service, the guy who plays keyboard over there, and he was saying he loves seeing people get baptized. Because baptism is, it's, it's somebody saying, hey, I don't identify as a sinner, I identify as a Christian, and they get baptized. And guys, that, that statistic to me is, is alarming. It's essentially, it's like if you had two bedrooms in your house that you wanted to furnish, and one of them was completely furnished, and the other was not furnished, and you say, man, we need some new furniture in here. And so then you say, here, we'll just take all this furniture and put it over here. And you go, there, problem solved. What we'll know, because this bedroom over here now doesn't have any furniture, right? Well, all we're doing is, remember, Christianity in the United States is we're just taking Christians from other churches. And that's not real growth. And so when, when I read these stats, it does make me feel that we as Christians, myself included, that we have really dropped the ball when it comes to being vocal about our faith. Let me read you a quote by uh, Kurt Cameron. We've had him here at the church before, but uh, his, he has this great quote where he says, if you have the cure to cancer, wouldn't you share it? You have the cure to death. Get out there and share it. It's a good quote, right? If you discover the cure for cancer, there is no way that you would sit there and, and sit on that, right? We as Christians have the cure for the greatest problem facing mankind, which is spiritual death. Yet a lot of us sit on that knowledge and don't say a single thing about it. So it, can you put that graphic back up one more time for the, main, for this, uh, the title of my, my message is, Why Are You Silent? But the text underneath it says, The opposite of love is silence. This is my main point for today, where everything in my message can be summed up in that one point. The opposite of love is silence. If you claim to truly love somebody, if you claim that, that you... Uh, love a friend or a family member, yet you don't say a single thing to that person about the greatest news known to mankind, it, it really makes me question how much you love that person. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to ask that question is, as Christians, why are we silent? And, and let's get real personal, ready? Why are you silent? Why are you silent? And, and what I did, when I was putting this message together, this is the question I kept asking myself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you three reasons, at least personally, and hopefully this, this does something for you guys, but I'm going to tell you three reasons as to why I think we as Christians in America have remained silent and not been sharing our faith that much. So if you'd allow me to, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive in, okay? Let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for everybody that's here, God. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to speak today and, and the people, the, the ears and, and the heart to listen. 
Lord, it's, it's, it's so easy in our society to, to keep this information to ourselves, whether it be out of fear or uh, fear of the consequences of what would happen. But God, my prayer is that we as a church, starting with Genoa, that we can be so in love with you, God, that we can't help but tell people about you. That when somebody sees us, they instantly know that person is a Christian. So God, today as we talk about these reasons why we are not sharing, Lord, I just pray that you, again, be with me, God, and give me the words. We love you and we pray this in your name. And all of God's children said, amen. All right, let's open up to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to read, so it'll be up on the screen, but there's also, if, if, if you need a Bible, there's one under your chair. And fun fact for you, if you don't own a Bible, you have full permission to take one from us, okay? So any Bible that's under your seat, you can take. If you have Bibles at home, please leave them, though. Okay, let's move on. All right. So John chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. Here it is. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Another word for that is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the first reason that I think we as Christians remain silent. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. Here it is. Number one, you don't have a relationship with God. Now, when I, when I say this, I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about Christians, okay? I'm talking about a relationship. What is the number one thing required in a healthy relationship, at least in my opinion, is uh, communication. You have to communicate, right? You have to actually talk to your spouse. Husbands, hear me. I struggle with this often. My wife said this to me last night. She goes, you never talked to me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, right? But we, we have to communicate. We have to talk it out. We have, to, we have to talk to each other. And the thing about this passage that I really like is um, I, think the, I think the illustration is great about how God is this gardener and we're, we're the vine. Jesus is the true vine. And when we bear fruit, he prunes us to make us bear more fruit, right? And, and here we see this word fruit over and over again. And Fruit, as is often mentioned in the Bible, talks about how we as Christians, uh, what we do, right? How people perceive us. We, my family, we have a tree in our backyard right outside of our deck. And there was one, we just thought it was just a regular normal tree, right? And then one day we go out there and we see apples all over it. And we were like, no way, we got an apple tree. And my wife made uh, apple crisp, delicious, all right? But we didn't know this was an apple tree. When did we know it was an apple tree? when we saw the apples, right? That's, that's not right. It wasn't a trick question. But yeah, when you see the apples, you realize it's an apple tree. And in the same way, people look at us and they should see fruits of Christianity. When they see you, they should say, hey, that person is a Christian. I can tell by, by the things that they're doing. What I, think the, what, what I think, though, that we get wrong as Christians is I think we tend to focus more on the fruit more than the relationship. And let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. You guys know the passage in Galatians that talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Essentially, they're saying, if you are a Christian, these are the things you should see. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those, right? Well, what we tend to do, and I've had students come up and ask me this. They say, Pastor Matt, I'm not the most patient person. I'm going to work on my patience, which they always say is never the thing to ask for, right? You don't want God saying, oh, you want to learn patience, huh? And then he puts you through terrible times, right? But um, 
<laughs> but what, what I find is that people tend to focus more on, on showing the fruits than they do with the relationship. So they'll say, I, I'm not the most joyful person. I'm going to work on being joyful, and then my relationship with Christ will get better. I, you know, I'm not the most peaceful person. I need to work on being peaceful with my siblings, and then my relationship with Christ will get better. But this passage that we just read here, it gives a pretty specific order. It says this. It says, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. A lot of people get it backwards. You don't try to act like a Christian and then your relationship with Christ will get better. If you work on your relationship with Christ initially, if you abide in him, and this, this word abide also means to dwell. So if you dwell with God, if you dwell with Christ, guess what will naturally happen? the fruits of the Spirit. Never, never work on trying, like, don't, don't say to yourself, I mean, these are the areas that I'm struggling in, I need to work at this and this. What you need to do is work on your relationship with Christ, with God, and then those things will just be a natural overflow. You think an apple tree has to try to grow apples? No, they grow apples, right? We as Christians, if we have a relationship with Christ, if we're constantly communicating and seeking Him out, guess what will happen? You will naturally see the fruits of the Spirit. I want to talk real quick before we go to our next point about a quiet time. Now, I, I think we could probably end this message based on this one point right here, where most people who struggle sharing their faith, it's because they don't have a quiet time with God. They're not seeking Him out. They're not abiding in Him. Now, what we find is that uh, when you're not growing in your relationship with God, you're not going to want to go and tell people about it, Right? It's when you're growing in your relationship with God where you go, man, this is awesome. Look what I learned today. I, I got to tell somebody about this. My prayer time was great today. I can't keep this to myself. But what we find is, especially with students, when they'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Matt, I, I'm struggling with this, with that, with lust, with anger, whatever it is. And the first question every time I ask is, how's your prayer life? How's your scripture? What, what, what are you doing? And, and, and you guys realize that the, the words in scripture here, these God gave these us for a reason. It's not like God just said, I'm going to give divine revelation and hopefully they'll read it. It's, it's no, God is saying, hey, th this is what I want you to know. We have a Bible. And here's the sad reality is that people who are silent about their faith, this is what their Bibles look like most of the time. Closed. Sitting, maybe gathering some dust on top, right? If you are not seeking God, I mean, when you're, when you're communicating with God, this, this right here is how God talks to us primarily. It's through Scripture. If you want to know something, open up Scripture and see what God has to say about it. And then get on your knees and pray to God and respond to Him. Guys, communication is the absolute necessary part of sharing your faith. Communication with God, that is. If you never communicate with God, if you never grow in your relationship with Him, if you can't communicate with God, you can't communicate with people about God. I just made that up on the spot. That wasn't in my notes. I'm pretty pumped about that. All right. So that's the first one there. The first one is you don't have a relationship with God. Work on your relationship with God. All right, let's read our next passage here. This is John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Follow along with me. Where is it? Here it is. Guys, I'm all over the place. <laughs> all right, here it is, 12 to 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Here's point number two. And you can put that up on the screen if that's okay. Point number two. You're not passionate about the things God is passionate about. 
Now, I want to show you a movie clip before we break this up. Has anybody here ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Anybody ever seen that? Oh, great, a couple people. All right, great. It's, it's a pretty cool movie. It's about this guy named Frank who's a con artist, and he, what he does is at a young age, he realizes how to take checks and, and counterfeit them and, and get a lot of money out of it, and he cons, I mean, he cons an airline into thinking he's a pilot. It's the craziest thing. And so eventually they catch him, they throw him in jail for fraud and cashing fake checks, and the FBI get this really good idea about what to do with him. So I want to show you this clip, and then we'll talk about it. Go ahead. I'd like you to take a look at something for me. Tell me what you think. That's a fake. How do you know you haven't looked at it? Well, there's no perforated edge, right? I mean, this, this check was hand-cut, not fed. Yeah. Paper's double-bonded, much too heavy to be a bank check. Magnetic ink, it's uh, raised against my fingers instead of flat. This doesn't smell like micker. It's some kind of a, you know, some kind of a drafting ink. You know, the kind you get at a stationery store. Frank, would you be interested in working with the FBI's financial crimes unit? I already got a job here. You know, I uh, deliver the mail. Frank, we have the power to take you out of prison. You'd be placed in the custody of the FBI where you'd serve out the remainder of your sentence as an employee of the federal government. Under whose custody? All right, so I love this scene because what, what happens in this scene is they give him a fake check. They wanted to see how he could tell if it was a fake or not, and, and he, I, I love it because he opens the envelope, and as he's pulling it out, he goes, it's a fake. Like, he barely even had to look at it, and, and so the FBI is thinking, man, we need this guy on our squad here. Like, if he can identify checks like that, he's going to be great for us, but here's the question. How did he know it was a fake check? He knew it's a fake check because he knows what a real check looks like. Did you hear what he was doing the whole time as he was comparing the fake one to the real one? He goes, well, this one's not perforated like the real check is. The micker line on this one is raised. On the real ones, it's not raised. If I was to stand here right now and I held up a $100 bill and one of you guys ran up and I said, here's $100, you'd say, this is amazing. And then you look at it and you go, this is a Monopoly $100 bill. First, you'd be upset with me. And then I would ask you, well, how do you know it's a fake? And you would say, because I know what a real $100 bill looks like, Right? And what's cool about, um, about Scripture is Scripture tells us what Christianity is supposed to be. The Bible tells us what it's supposed to be. And you're not going to know a fake unless you know what the real one looks like. This is why so many people are deceived so easily nowadays when it comes to Christianity and, and, and what people claim to be Christianity. Let me tell you what a fake Christianity looks like. Uh, the fake Christianity looks like that you, that you are most passionate about going to church, giving 10% of your income to offering, and serving in a ministry here. Specifically student ministry, by the way. So if you want to sign up, let me know. I'll be up here afterwards. But this is fake. Now, now hear me. These are great things. We want you to do these things. But if Christianity is all about those things that I just mentioned, you are, uh, you're, you're, you've bought into a counterfeit. Here's what real Christianity looks like. And, and really, I'm going I'm to tell you what it looks like by asking you a question. What was the one reason Jesus came to earth for? And the answer is 
people. That's what Christianity is all about. When the, this, the, my, the second reason why we're silent, you're not passionate about what God is passionate. Guess what God is most passionate about? People. He loves us so much. If he didn't love us so much, he wouldn't have sent his son. He wouldn't have made his son a man to come be humiliated, be dragged down a, a, a dirt road carrying his own cross, put this crown of thorn on his head, pierce his side, nail him to a cross. He wouldn't have done all of that stuff if he didn't have an extreme love for people, for us. Guys, if we don't care about people the way God cares about people, we're never going we're, we're never going to get out of this silence. We're, we're never going to share with them what we should be sharing because we lack a passion for people the way God does. I, I always, I, again, I say this to students all the time as I say, guys, try to look at people the way God looks at people. And if you look at people that way, it, it'll change your conversation for sure. Because you're going to be like, man, I love this person. I, this person needs to know the best news possible. And it's funny because God loves us so much. I, you know, I'm a dad. I have four kids. And I was, I was in kids' church once, and Maura's not in this service, right? Okay, good. She was in the last service, so I didn't tell the story. But she, uh, my daughter Maura, my oldest kid, she was, in, uh, she was in the kids' area, and two boys came up, and I, I overheard them talking smack about my daughter, okay? Which, for older people, that means uh, bad, bad stuff they were saying about my kid, right? And so I said, I, I heard them, and I was like, we got a problem here, gentlemen? And they said, no, 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 Maura was kind of mean to us. And guys, I know my kid. She probably was, okay? But it's my kid. And I remember just being like, don't talk about my kid like that. That's my kid. You know, don't, don't say those things. I'll beat you. And I didn't, okay? I didn't. But guys, imagine how God feels when we go up to people that he created and we gossip about them. We don't say anything about them. We have this best news of Christianity, the good news that Jesus died on a cross, and we say nothing to them. How do you think God responds? I bet you he responds the same way I did. He's like, what are you doing? That's my kid. I created this person. Why, why, aren't, you, why aren't you telling them the good news? Guys, we need to be passionate about people the way God is passionate about people. And guys, I'm telling you, that's, that right there is, it's a big reason. And this is a re guys, I'm telling you, this is something that I do with myself where there are times where I, I will miss an opportunity and I go, man, if I, if I loved that person more, I would have said something, but I didn't. So point number two, just in review, you're not passionate. We remain silent a lot of times because we're not passionate about what God is passionate about, and that's people. Let's move on to this last passage here. This is Exodus chapter 16. We're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to one of my favorite books, actually. Um, it's the one that they make all the movies about, right? So I love Exodus, and I love the whole story of it. And what I want to do is we're going to read from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. And this passage here, in my opinion, is probably one of the dumber things said in all of Scripture. And, I, and I'll explain to you what that means. I promise I'm not being heretical, okay? Because this is something that the Israelites said, and I want you to see how foolish this is, all right? So let's read uh, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread until we were full. But you, Moses, you brought us into this wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. 
Now, I'm going to tell you why this is one of the dumbest things in all of Scripture. And to do so, I need to kind of set the context here. If you, if you read all of Exodus, it starts off with Israel. The, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And not only are they slaves in Egypt, but they've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Most, every Israelite that was here at this time has only known slavery their whole life. They, they were slaves, right? It says that they were crying out to God because they haven't heard from him in 400 years. They're crying out to God. They're begging and pleading that God will deliver them from this. And finally, God heeds the call. He says, I will send my, my servant Moses, and he will go with, with Aaron, and they are going to free the people. And so Moses, after some convincing, he goes into Egypt, and he, uh, he says the infamous line, Pharaoh, let my people go. And does Pharaoh do it right away? Nope, takes a little convincing, right? <laughs> if you know all the plagues that he did and stuff, I mean, it was a lot of convincing, which if it was me, I probably would have been done after the first one. But Pharaoh was a stubborn man, so eventually he says, you know what, just go. Just get out of here. Israel, just leave. I've had enough of you and your God. So put yourself in the place of the Israelites where you've, been, you've only known slavery your whole life and you have packed up all of your stuff and you're leaving Egypt. Like if that was me, I'd, have been, I'd be like, this is amazing. I'm not a slave anymore. This is great, right? So they keep going. They get, they, they get a certain distance away and Pharaoh has a change of heart and says, Mm, nope, 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 I'm changing my mind. We're going to go get them. Get my chariots together. Get the whole crowd assembled. We're going to go get these Israelites. We're going to bring them back, and they're going to be slaves again. So now let's put ourselves in the Israelite shoes. You're walking. You think you're free. You look back, and you see the Egyptians coming for you, and you're like, oh, man, this didn't take long. And you say, we need to keep going. So they keep going, and then they come to the Red Sea. So now you've got Egypt coming behind you. You've got the Red Sea in front of you. What are you thinking there? You're probably thinking... Oh, I knew it was too good to be true. We're going to be slaves again. Thanks, Moses. Appreciate this. We're getting our hopes up and all this stuff. And what does God use Moses to do is he parts the Red Sea, which, honestly, how awesome would that have been to see that in real life? Like, to just be like, wow, right? So is, the Israelites go all through the Red Sea, and when they're there, they look back. The Egyptians come through, and, and God releases the waters, and it destroys all of the, the, the Egyptian people. And I love what it's, it's kind of morbid, but it says, it says that the Israelites looked down on the seashore and saw the bodies of all the dead Egyptians. And it said in that moment, they feared God. Imagine what that was like to be an Israelite, to stand there and look down and be like, we're no longer slaves. Our, our captors are gone. We're, we're no longer slave to this. What do you think that felt like? That probably felt pretty awesome. In fact, it did feel awesome because in the chapter before the verses I just read, chapter 15, it literally is a song that Moses and Israel sing to God, where they're saying, God, thank you so much for what you did. You're a great, great God. Listen, I'll sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. I mean, they, they say all these things. I would encourage you to read it. And then chapter 16 happens. Let me reread the stupidest thing ever said in Scripture. Ready? Here it is. Verses 2 and 3. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. It would have been better, because at least we had meat, and at least we had bread, and we ate till we were full. But you, Moses and Aaron, you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now put yourself in Moses' shoe. You're probably like, What? What are you talking about, man? Do you remember this? You guys were slaves in Egypt. God, God, let me bring you out of Egypt. Don't, don't you remember that thing at the Red Sea that we did? Do you, do you remember that? When, when God split that? 
We call this, when people get so hungry that they're angry, it's called hangry. Have you heard this, statement, this phrase before? These guys were hangry. They, they were just like, we can't, I shouldn't say this, my wife gets super angry when she's hungry. So it's always good to feed my wife. Love you, Britt. All right? But people, I don't know what it is. When people get hungry, they get, they get angry. And so the Israelites, they got angry. And I can just imagine that when they're complaining to Moses, Moses is probably like, who are you talking to, man? I, I brought you, through, through God, I brought you out of Egypt. And here's the last point here. Okay, go ahead and put that last point up on the screen. This is the last reason that I believe that we as Christians are silent about our faith. It's because we've forgotten what God has done for us. Look at, look at Egypt, okay? I looked this up. This verse that I read you, verses 16, 2, and 3, it was 30 days after they left Egypt. 30 days. You're telling me that you're going to see all this miraculous stuff? And even the, the, the little passage before this, they wanted water, and God made this bitter water. He made it sweet. God was over and over and over again just showing them how great he was, yet these guys apparently caught a case of amnesia, and they forgot what God had done for them. And, and it's crazy because we look at this and we, we say, well, you know, that's the Israelites, but we do this. Don't you guys agree? We, we do this. I know I do this. When, when a problem happens in my life or something big happens, I just go, oh, man, there's no way God can, can overcome this. This is too big. And then, and then I have to remind myself, but God freed me from sin. Of course he can overcome this. Guys, this story of Israel parallels us. So, so while these Israelites are, are, are complaining so much to Moses, guys, listen, Moses at one point in Scripture asked God to kill him because he can't deal with these Israelites anymore. It says that he's there, and he was like, God, take me now. I can't deal with these people. Because they were, a, the guys, they were a bunch of whiny babies, really. If you read all of Exodus, man, time and time again, they're complaining about this. They build fake altars. They, build, they, they make these fake idols and all this stuff. And Moses at one point's like, yeah, I think I'm done. Like, this, is, this is getting too much. And this story parallels us because whether you know this or not, every person alive at one point in your life was a slave to sin. Israel was a slave to Egypt, and God freed them, and we were slaves to sin. If you've given your heart to Christ, guess what? God has freed you from that sin, and you're no longer a slave. Think of the different sins. I've known people who were a slave to lust, to anger, to uh, jealousy. Like, all of these sins that just had this, this hold on us God, through Jesus' death on the cross, gave us a way to be free of that. That right there, that fact alone, should make you say, you know what? I, I, can, I can deal with anything that, God throw, that, that comes my way because I remember this one fact. I'm no longer a slave. So what I'd like for us to do is we're going to end with a, a song that I want to play on this screen here. And this is one of my favorite worship songs of all time. And I say that every time I preach, but this really is, okay? But this is a song called No Longer Slaves. And I had a bunch of people ask me about it. It's from a church called Bethel. So if you want to look it up afterwards, you can. But the chorus simply says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And you can replace fear with anything. Lust, sin, you can replace it with anything. I'm no longer a slave to this because guess what? Now I'm a child of God. It, it's an identity thing, Right? When we forget our identity that we are children of God, this is when we stop telling people that we're children of God. So what I'm going to do, we're going to play this song, and the lyrics are up on the screen. I, I, all I want you to do is sit there, watch the video, and I want you to sing these words. 
See the passion that these singers, there's a girl at the end of this song, you're just going to be like, yeah, yeah, she knows she's a child of God. All right? So sing along, and then I'll close afterwards. Go ahead. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come.
Can we all stand together? I'm going to pray for you guys. I, I want to tell you one more story before we finish. Is um, When uh, there was one day I came home from work and my daughter Mora was there. She's my oldest daughter, my sassiest kid, easily. Uh, which we always joke, that's why she's going to be a CEO of a company someday. Because she's got a really, uh, she's pretty crazy. But I came home one day and Mora walked up to me and she said, she, she thought it'd be funny to call me by my first name. So she goes, oh, hi, Matt. And she did it in that, that kind of, and I said, what did you say? And she said, I said, hi, Matt. How's it going? Apparently she's British now, but she doesn't have a British accent. But, but I said, I, I, was, I was very upset because I've been taught growing up that's a disrespectful thing to do. You don't call your parents by their first name. And so my, uh, I, was, I wanted to punish her, but my wife stepped in and knelt down in front of her. And she said, uh, she said, Maura, you are the only little girl in this whole world that gets to call him dad. You're, you're the only one that gets to call him dad. Why would you call him Matt? You get to call him father. And, and God, it's, it's, it's a great moment. And, and, and we see this lady at the end of this video here where um, unashamedly she's just saying, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. We get the privilege and the honor to call God Father. We get to call him our Father. Why in the world would we stay silent about that? So what I want to encourage you guys to do when we leave here today is remember three things. Number one, you, you work on your relationship with Christ. Communicate with God. Read your Bible and pray. Just really make that a normal part of your life, and you'll be surprised how it'll be hard for you to stay silent about God. Number two, look at people the way God looks at people. If you've got neighbors and friends and, and you claim that you love them, prove it. Invite them to church. Tell them about what, what Jesus has done in your life. And last, don't forget what God has done for you, okay? The Israelites forgot. We tend to forget. I forget. But guys, we are children of God. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been delivered from it. And that right there should be the reason that we shout it out as loud as we can to people around us. Let me pray for you guys. Dear God, thank you so much. Lord, we live in the freest country for Christianity known to man, yet we still struggle telling people about our faith. And my prayer, God, is that we can overcome that and, and just remind ourselves daily that we're, we're no longer slaves, that we are your children, that you paid a price for us. You died on the cross for us, God, because you love us so much. So God, my, my prayer is that we don't, that, that we're not part of a counterfeit Christianity that worries about following the motions, but that we follow true Christianity, which is all about the people that you've placed in our lives, God. Lord, I pray that we can be ambassadors for you and, and, and that we realize that the only way we're going to change this country back for you, God, is not in the voting booth. It's not in, in areas like that. It's, it's where we suck it up, we do the hard work, and we stop being silent. God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this great church that I get to be a part of, God. Lord, use us in this community. Use us as a beacon for you, God, that just shows the light of what you did on the cross. We love you, God. We thank you, and we pray this in your name. And all of God's children said, amen.